Joseph. And I'm Nick. And this is Fish Jelly. Uh, yeah. How are you? <laughs> uh, good, how are you? Okay. There's a lot to get through. Is there? Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, just because some of these movies, we I've watched quite a few things. Okay. Usually movies for fun, it's mostly you. Mm-hmm. But I've watched, I think, like three or four of these. Yes, you have. So yeah. you can contribute. So I can finally contribute something. Oh, boy. I was going to mention, have you been getting a lot of random text messages? Yes. <laughs> It'll be like, hi, what's up? And then I've stopped responding, but I was responding like, who is this? Mm-hmm. And then it's like... Lily. It'll be a picture of, like, an Asian lady. Lily from blah, blah, blah. Yeah, and then, like, they keep responding, and then I block the caller, mm-hmm. and then I still get text messages. So I don't know what kind of witchcraft is happening that I block a, call, a, a contact, and I still get text messages. Yeah, that was happening to me on WhatsApp, too. Yeah. Yeah. No, not WhatsApp. Uh, is that what it was? Some other app I had to just, like, remove everything because it was just constant anyway the world's ending uh so one of those podcasts i listened to that i'm too embarrassed to say what it is with the sort of with those old homosexuals yeah oh my god Um, every time you have them on them they're dumb they are dumb but uh two weeks ago they reported about ricky martin's um (laughs) oh i forgot about that ricky martin's restraining order and then they reported that the person who filed the restraining order against him Mm -hmm. was his nephew his sister's son and they have had a romantic relationship but what kind of morgan okay but but no 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 no. so of course i'm like oh my god so i'm like trying to research to make sure this is true Mm -hmm. before i say it or repeat it and on all accounts it's not true like what part the the person who filed the restraining order is his nephew as far as we know he was not in a relationship with his nephew oh okay but when I was listening to that podcast and I heard it, I'm like, oh no, please don't tell me Ricky Martin. Ricky. So it's, it seems like that's not true. So I want to spread uh, anti-fake news that Ricky Martin... You mean real news. Yeah, anti-fake news, a.k.a. real news, that Ricky Martin's nephew did not file a restraining order against him. Uh, yesterday we went... A friend got married mm-hmm. and then had like... A series of little events, one of which was at uh, a place downtown called Truly LA. Mm-hmm. And I'm so stupid. I had never heard of this place. We get there. It was very cute. I, I do want to make a side note about parking in downtown LA is very tricky because the prices are never what the actual price is. It'll say like $8, but that's $8 for every 30 minutes or something. Yeah. So we saw a parking spot that was like, oh, it's $4. Great. Knew it was too good to be true. Knew I should have known it was too good to be true. That was like $4 for every three minutes or whatever. I don't know. But anyway, happy to attend. But truly LA, the venue was cute. And it wasn't until my third drink, which you were buying the drink. So you had brought me my third drink. Mm -hmm. And I had asked for like something on the menu said like mango chili margarita. Something a little more discreet, please. And you walk up to me with a can of Truly, mm-hmm. and that's when it hit me that this establishment is truly the hard seltzer, which I think is cute, except that all of the mixed drinks are hard seltzer based. But you're mm-hmm. paying mixed drink money. 
mm-hmm. for a hard seltzer beverage. Meaning, like, if I were to go to, like, a restaurant and order, like, a vodka soda, the same price I'm paying for vodka with my mixer is what I'm paying for a truly hard seltzer mixed with whatever. So I didn't like that very much. But um, mm-hmm. I still think it's a really cute venue. Um, and yeah, I would I would go back. They had food, which we didn't try. But anyway, moving on. So... One podcast we talked about, oh gosh, what is, who is the black queer filmmaker who has a Criterion box set? Marlon Riggs. So we talked about this when we reviewed one of Marlon Riggs films, but there is a nightclub in New York called The Q, which you might be familiar because this was during the pandemic when all these celebrities said they were investors in this nightclub, like Billy Porter, Zachary Quinto. Do you remember that? No. Anyway, this club opened and it's back or it's on my radar because a lawsuit has been filed by one of the partners. So there are three people who sort of own this and then they got these celebrities to invest and add some shine to it. But one of the owners has filed a lawsuit against two of the other owners um, because of like accusations of racism. Oh. So I'm just going to read... Um, some of the stuff. So some person, Frankie Sharp, was one of the owners is suing the other two co-owners, Robert Fluitt and Alan Pickus. Okay. So I'm just going to read one paragraph that sort of talks, it's, it's sort of in summary what the, the issue is with this club. So Sharp alleges that Pickus engaged in racist and derogatory behavior towards the customers and employees of the queue telling Sharp to make the space comfortable for white twinks and to not and, and to not alienate the white boys while simultaneously discriminating against patrons who looked like they were from the Bronx. Pickus allegedly told a candidate interviewing for a bar manager position, I don't need to break my back to hire people just because they're black or trans, while Sharp, who was in charge of programming, was also allegedly told by Pickus to make sure your Latin knights are the good kind of Latins, not the Blatinos. Oh. Oh, it's curtains, bitch. Sharp goes on to state that four <laughs> senior managers quit and were fired in the first year of the club's operation due to conflict with this person. Okay. So, of course, when I heard that, I was like, oh, my God. But then, like... What, I, what, what do you mean make white twinks uh, comfortable? You just need to give them little nuts and berries. I don't know what... <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> this is a very common occurrence of course, in the, gay yeah, bars. Historically, of, yeah. Historically. The, the Abbey had a big problem with that years ago. Make, main, maintaining its whiteness uh, <laughs> and, and making sure that you have like the cute younger white guys there. And then making sure to alienate Never make, mind. essentially people of color, but primarily blacks yeah, and Asians. Yeah. Latinos are considered desirable in gay spaces as long as they're like a certain variety. Well, like everybody. So like there, this, there's a certain variety of everybody that they'll so accept. So like this accusation says like no Latinos. But once again, trying to segregate us and keep us all apart. Anyway, I thought I would share that. That's depressing. Just, just more of the same. Which but is good. why a lot of spaces I don't necessarily like visiting because it's very clear they are... Who they're catering to, yes. Who they're catering to. And I don't want to go places where clearly they don't want people who look like me there. Mm-hmm. So that's a lot of gay spaces, unfortunately. It because is. oftentimes I'll go to gay bars and... So a good example would be Akbar, mm-hmm. which is in Silver Lake. 
So it, the, the, there, there's like a bar side and then a dance floor. Mm-hmm. And the bar has a jukebox. The bar side, the dance floor is not open every night either. Correct. So when the dance floor is open, they're usually playing some, like Saturdays tend to be like some Italian disco shit. Which, they, they have very interesting They nights. have very interesting nights. And I'm not trying to say that Akbar is racist, but, what I do, but I think it's a good example of what a lot of gay bars do. So the dance floor will play a lot of like dance stuff, stuff that is kind of like, okay, this is okay, but not really danceable. And then on the bar side with the jukebox, what is the music that people play? Oh, like like eighties. It's all like eighties, nineties, top forty R and B and pop. Mm-hmm. So I, kn- it's kind of like if you let the gays choose their own music, they always choose the same kind of music, mm-hmm. which is not what the clubs play, because they know that the that that kind of EDM like boots and cats type music will filter out. Sure, but but Akbar does a variety of things. To be fair, again, I don't want to make it seem like I think Akbar's racist, but I do think that it's like okay, every night I've ever been in there, and I've been in there every night of the week, the music that's playing on the jukebox is always the same. It's mm-hmm. always the same. It's well, a little more urban. Well, it's um, a finite selection too. It 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 is, but they do all. That's true. But what I'm saying is that the. The, the patrons consistently choose a certain variety of music that the clubs don't play. Now, Akbar, to be fair, Akbar last night had R&She Night, which mm-hmm. was a tribute to Aliyah and other queens of R&B and hip-hop. So, Again, so... Like so said, they do play a variety. I'm not saying they don't. And they've had, like, 90s Night where the poster will be Janet Jackson. Or, so clearly... And the audience, the, the, the clientele of Akbar... The crowd is very white. Yeah, there's, there's. It, again, I think, it, I think it depends on the. Night. It depends on the night you go, but mm. I've never been when I didn't think it was very white. Okay. It's also the neighborhood. The neighbor, yes. to be fair, between that and the eagle, yeah. But I'm not trying to say Akbar's racist. Again, I'm just saying that it's a good experiment uh, as to if if you ask gay guys what they like, they all like this dancey pop retro music, and if given the choice, they'll play it. But then the bars and the clubs don't ever want to play that. They always want to play dance versions of it because mm-hmm. they know that alienates. Well, but that's why I like trunks in West Hollywood because they don't seem to do that. They seem to cater in the opposite direction, usually. Mm. At least on the weekends. Anyway, <clears throat> you were telling me that that book from the 60s, Don't Ask Alice. 1971. I, oh, I woke up to a text this morning... <laughs> I don't know why I was alerted to this text from David Allen Greer. Tweet. <laughs> yeah, tweet. Yeah, a text. He's not texting. He's you. not texting me. Uh, that he was uh, had some 1971 book, Go Ask Alice, which I read as a kid in 1996, uh, but it was published by Anonymous. It was supposed to be this story about this young girl experimenting with LSD, who you know ruins her life, uh, and it was used in a way. Uh, you know, as a tool against the war on drugs, I think, because it was supposed to scare you. Uh, but it's been revealed, according to the New York Post, that a suburban housewife wrote that book. <laughs> well. Uh, but, it, you know, it's quite adult. And I remember one of my teachers in sixth grade being upset that I was reading it. But What's the guy? Who's the guy who went on Oprah and he had to apologize? Something Fra- James Fry or something. For doing the same shit. That, that was a million little pieces. Mm. Yeah, why do all these people want to lie about... <laughs> But that's everyone. Being on drugs. I mean, everyone's pretending to have have it harder than, you know, Well, because everyone needs a story to tell. Well, it's just that I think that it also 
you know, if we unpack that a little further, it's like, oh, it's so much more interesting to us if this really happened to somebody, right. rather than as a piece of fiction, a well, a, a piece of well-written fiction, which I guess Go Ask Alice and a million little pieces are. And why can't we appreciate it for that as a cautionary tale, other than like I have to think in my mind that somebody was destroyed. <laughs> Moving on, the Locarno Film Festival. Uh, yeah, they just announced their lineup, and I will be covering that remotely because uh, that's in Switzerland at the beginning of August. Um, I am excited for. I, I didn't realize Patricia Patricia Mazui, who just announced a new Isabella Pair project. She has a film that's competing there, uh, and so does Alexander Sokurov, the uh, Russian auteur. Um, and of course, now with the war on Ukraine. Uh, Everybody that's dealing with Russian directors has to justify why they're programmed. So it's funny that the festival has already come out ahead of time to say like, oh, you know, of course we support Ukraine. This wasn't funded with uh, the Russian government money. And so it's independently financed. So we can play it. <laughs> what does Karlovy Very Ends means? Oh, the Karlovy Very Film Festival ended. Oh. <laughs> Uh, which I didn't cover any Why other. do you say Summer of Hope wins Crystal Globe? The Crystal Globe is the top prize of their competition, and oh. Summer of Hope won that top prize. It's about a pair of uh, Iranian teenagers from an Iranian-Canadian director, Sadaf Farugi. Uh, it's her second feature. Uh, <laughs> she had a first feature named Ava in 2017. I didn't see, but I think I always confuse it with another film called Ava in 2017 from uh, What's-Her-Face, Le Lea Maisius. Anyway... RuPaul's Drag Race, All-Star 7, the all-winner season. We watched episode 9, Dance Like a Drag Queen. The maxi challenge was the queens had to make like a viral dance video like for TikTok. Mm -hmm. So each of them did. Uh, they, it, it was kind of cute. The top two were Jinx and Monet. Jinx did something like she's like a middle-aged like woman looking for sex. She's like the Amy Poehler mother in Mean Girls. And then her 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 dance involved making a peanut butter sandwich, <laughs> which I thought was very inventive. And then Monet Exchange did um, something related to money, and her dance was the only one that actually looked like like a like a TikTok dance challenge. Sure. But something uh, that I thought was interesting is when RuPaul goes into the workroom to talk to each of the queens about their dance. She was very aggressive about what she thinks they should do. She's been doing that a lot, though. Yeah, yeah. Because don't you remember in Australia, she's like, you guys failed because I didn't coach you well enough or something. Oh, like, maybe. Well, yeah. yeah, like, she tells Monet, like, your idea, no. You need to do something in a completely different direction, which Monet does, and then, of course, wins. Um, the Also, for the first time, the lip sync song was like a spoken word thing. It was a monologue from Designing Women, mm -hmm. which... Uh, which RuPaul um, parodied in his SNL. That's right. Post. If you don't know, or if you haven't watched RuPaul's uh, SNL episode, there's some pretty funny skits. Yeah. I think the Designing Women one is my favorite. Oh, with Cecily Strong. Yeah. Who's so good, too. Yeah, that. yeah. yeah. Um, but Monet wins, and then Monet blocks Raja, because Raja was the only one who hadn't been blocked. So now we're left with Jinx and Jada have three stars. Mm -hmm. Everyone else has two stars except Shea Coulee. Oh, I feel so bad. For I Shea can't Coulee. believe Shea Coulee is in the bottom, and we only have three episodes left. I don't know how Shea could end up in the finale, I which don't is know. crazy. I know that I know. someone like Shea wouldn't perform better. But I think, like we've said before, Shea is smart and beautiful and can perform, but she is not funny. 
she her t- funny bone is missing. So I think she because she takes herself so seriously. It, but it's okay to take yourself seriously. It is, but it's not always enjoyable as enjoyable to watch. You know, like not that what she presents isn't great. It's just if I have to choose between two people who execute drag on the highest of levels, of course I'm going to veer towards the one who's making me giggle. So I think you know Shea Coule is more of an artist. I think. Yeah, I agree. And I don't know that that. This platform is the best for what she does, but either way, the train continues. Okay, there's nothing in the sorry to this man section, which I know is wrong because I made a pretty big mistake on something. You did? Yes, and I forgot to write it down. So I guess... What did you make? I don't remember. So we'll just go to films that were released we didn't cover. We didn't didn't have a lot of videos this week, just Thor, of which the comments on I've been avoiding, and... uh... The, uh, well, you know, actually, so anytime we review Marvel things um, and we don't like them, which is almost always, <laughs> lots and lots of nasty comments. But for Thor, there aren't that many, which makes me think that I think people realize that this is a little bit of a disappointment. I think I read, I saw a headline that it's um, obviously making money, not as much as they want, but uh, has soft received soft reviews. Because even like Morbius... Like there weren't a lot of negative comments because you can't really argue that that's a great movie. Right. <laughs> so, I, so I think that's a testament to like you know, pe- people may have enjoyed Thor: Love and Thunder, um, but, Natalie, but it's not a great. Movie. Natalie Portman is so bad in Love and Thunder. I felt embarrassed for her. It she it's a terrible performance. <laughs> well, as long as her check cleared. Well, okay. Films released we didn't cover. Morina. Oh, this won the uh, Camera d'Or at Cannes 2021, which uh, is the war- an award bestowed on uh, first-time narrative feature that has its own separate jury, uh, which I was surprised this won because I saw this at the festival and didn't cover it because I thought Unclenching the Fist would win. Uh, but Marina, uh, directed by Antonetta Alamat Kuzijanovic, uh, is about a young girl named Marina who kind of... Uh, you know, has a very close relationship with her father that changes drastically when some rich businessman friend of him visits. It was a simple story, very beautifully shot, which I guess justifies the camera d'or, but that opened this weekend and we did not cover it. The Sea Beast? This was an animated film and I had, I did have publicists reaching out to me, but I just, I wasn't, I don't even know if I asked you if you want to see this, but I would, it's directed by Chris Williams, who's Big Hero 6, I actually did really like, uh, but this opened on Netflix and uh, Dan Stevens and Carl Urban do voice work in it, but we did not get to it. Lastly, Take the Night. This uh, I was bothered about to review and didn't, uh, but it's the debut of somebody named Seth McTeague, and it looks like a Z-grade action film, uh, and that's all I know about it. All right, movies we watched for fun. Something called Wild Things. Something called Wild Things. Is that with Nev Campbell? Yeah. Oh, yes. I had never seen that. Very familiar with the poster art. What year did it come out? 1998. Yeah. So I remember seeing that in college, like in the video store. Because uh, it's like Nev and Denise Richards, like coming out of, like, looks like they're in a body of water mm-hmm. and their hair's all wet. Yeah. This movie was not what I thought it would be. Oh, I God. thought it'd be more of like an erotic thriller. Well, it kind of is, but it, it feels kind of like David Lynch to me, if, like, if he could tell a cohesive story. But... <laughs> He's not interested in doing that. By He's not interested in that. <laughs> Uh, it is, it has so many twists and turns. This was such, this film left such an impression on me and even listen, cause I haven't watched it for years, but even rewatching it cause Arrow Video put it out on a very beautiful, uh, 4k restoration. And, uh, even the music soundtrack, 
um, was taking me back. Yes. I think the first half is very strong, but the second half, it's just too many twists and turns. There are. It's like a double, triple, quadruple, like it's just too many crosses. Because, you know, it wasn't filmed um, from start to finish and in linear uh, fashion. And uh, Kevin Bacon, who produced it as well, said, uh, who has a no nudity clause, interestingly, I was reading. So that shot of his penis is accidental. Um, yeah, we see Kevin Bacon's bottom and penis. Yeah, would, because the towel was missed. That wasn't planned. But oh. he, he allowed it to stay in there. Uh, but he said that when they were filming, they, the cast had to be kind of coached and reminded like where they were in the story and what the motivations were in the scene because there were so many twists and turns. I will say, because I can't recount the story now, but we find out like the gag is Nev Campbell is like the aunt of Denise Richards. Who is one of her lovers and by the time we get like you had to tell me that i was paying attention to this movie and it, they do explain like their connection it was so convoluted that i didn't I, I i wouldn't have been able to gather that that's what they were trying to tell us sure it was just doing way too much but that being said i did enjoy it daphne rubin vega as uh, kevin bacon's partner loved that um i, I I think she's so striked. Carrie Snodgrass, I think, is excellent as uh, Nev Campbell's you grandmother. You kept saying that, and I don't know what you found so great about her. Oh, she's so crusty. You said it like eight times. She was so crusty in all the line deliveries I loved. She wasn't that crusty. Oh, I loved She her. was good. I thought she was but good. I, but she was no, like... Oh, and ter- so I usually don't like Teresa Russell, and I think this Who's is... That? She played Denise Richards' mother, who I talk about all the time because she was married to Nicholas Rogue. Denise Richards' mother. Sandra Van Ryan. Yes, when we first meet her, she's wearing brown panties yes, on the on balcony. The balcony. <laughs> that is, I think, it's the best casting ever of Teresa Russell because she actually seems like she could be Denise Richards' mother and gave uh, birth to this devil. See, I dog. think she was better than the other lady you keep saying is so great. I like both of them, but they were both. And fun. you know what? You know, for all the flack Denise Richards gets, I really quite like her performance in this. It is over the top and excessive, but in a way that's not like. I feel like she's also a way, a, very aware of how she comes across, unlike, say, Elizabeth Berkley in Showgirls. I thought she did a good job. I thought she did a really good job. Um, and um, she was giving me a young Jean Tierney in this, because she is beautiful, you know. Another issue I had is I feel like Matt Dillon's character okay. was maybe miscast. I think it needed to be someone more attractive. Yeah. And then... They say, like, he's educator of the year, but then he's also, like... But, but then he's not a teacher. He's a guidance counselor. Yeah. That really threw me off. And then his character seems kind of stupid. So I wish... I wish that they would have picked someone more attractive and then his role at the school would have been something, like... Maybe, like, I'm not implying that people who teach PE aren't smart, but, like, a, a different role. I think there I mean, to- guidance counselor makes sense in that he has access to these girls, but he he just... I hated that they kept saying educator of the year and then he seems kind of stupid and then he's not that attractive for he's, all these women He's, to he's be not funny. ugly, but you need somebody that's a little more smug. Like Kevin Bacon's more attractive I think, than... I think, I think if they'd switched the Kevin Bacon and Matt Dillon roles, that would have been... Because the women are all fawning over him and it's like, well, why aren't they fawning over Kevin Bacon then? And Nev, <laughs> and Nev Campbell, I think we need a little more character development than just her reading Celine. And I hated her hair. Yeah, it's oh. terrible. But, but I like the idea But she seems like an angsty teenager in the 90s and um you know she had a no nudity clause too because she was still in party of five and she couldn't appear nude yeah so we see denise richard's breasts but not quite a bit yeah but not nev campbell's uh and also the lawyers i like robert wagner and uh, oh bill, bill murray. murray bill murray was funny <laughs> yeah because he's like a crooked well no no morals he, not really he, but he did his job but he, 
But he didn't care what he was doing. In true Bill Murray fashion. And of course, this is directed by John McNaughton, who's... Probably more infamous film is his debut, Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer, which is a film that I find hard to watch. Um, and I'm happy. He did a film, God, a decade ago now with Michael Shannon and Samantha Morton called The Harvest, which had some moments I liked in it. Uh, but I'm happy to see he's doing a J.G. Ballard. Uh, we talked about it a couple podcasts ago with Michael Rooker, a J.G. Ballard a- adaptation. But anyway, Wild Things. <clears throat> we finally watched Yellow Jackets, the Showtime series mm-hmm. that like so many comments about we should review yellow jackets um so we we did watch it uh it took what three days yeah because it's 10 episodes okay i did it had me going mm-hmm. it got me gal for like three episodes overall i was disappointed in where because it, it doesn't take me anywhere like there are no answers there but are no- but it's set up clearly to have another season so I think a lot of the nagging questions you have, such as what's her name's baby and blah, blah, blah. I think that the way the series is constructed is like, it, it works, but I just needed a little bit more sure. after watching eight episodes. Ten. Um, oh, ten. That's even worse. But I did enjoy what I was watching. I think the performances are strong. It's just that the premise of this group of girls crash landing in some remote area on their way to a soccer field and then being trapped for 19 months. There are so many questions that don't get answered in the first season because I think there's a supernatural element. I mean, there is a supernatural element or component to it, but there's also an issue with time that the first season doesn't address because they keep saying... They were gone for 19 months. Mm-hmm. But I think we're going to learn that they weren't gone for 19 months. I think we're going to learn they were probably gone for like days. No, and, I don't think it'll be days. Because they're, they're, her belly's showing. Or you're, you're right, not days. But I don't know that it was 19 months. I don't know. I don't know. I just have so many questions. They have a lot of explanations because as, you know, Juliet Lewis does get kidnapped by those people with the symbol. Like so they're, To they're, be fair, everyone keeps asking like what really happened out there. So it begs the question like something doesn't make sense. So I think the construction of the story is fine. It's just I hate that it ended without It ends with us realizing there's some sort of cult and then like they like that's involved with the disappearance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, would I watch season two? Probably. I think I liked it more than you, but I also really liked the quartet of women at the oh, front Christina of it. Ricci is so good. Christina Ricci's really good. She's perfect. Juliette Lewis. I, li- uh, I really, I like Juliette she Lewis. She does a good job. Um, the black lady. Tan- I like both actresses that play Thaisa. Tani Cypress is the older version and Jasmine Savoy Brown, who is in the latest Scream movie, is the younger one. Actually, I liked everyone. I, I think everyone does... E- even the, the, the teenage boy who's supposed to be like... In love with the young Juliet Lewis character? Yeah, I thought he was well cast. It's kind of like... Because he's kind of like not that appealing, but that's like how teenage boys are. And then he's the only... He's not the only boy. The other one's gay. But the other one's gay and then the other one's younger. So he's kind of like the one all the girls like. I thought his casting was good. I really like Melanie Linsky. You know, you have all these women that were, as young girls, um, actresses in the 90s that had... Well, except for Tani Cypress. I think this is the first time I've seen her. But, you know, Juliette Lewis and Christina Ricci and um, Melanie Linsky were all had very notable kind of dark roles as... I would recommend it. I'm glad I watched it. I was just very frustrated by, like, episode eight when I realized that we're probably not going to get the answers that I want. 
Um, and then it ends without giving us anything. Well, except to say that the one that was stopped taking her crazy pills has become like we is is the one behind these men that kidnapped Juliet Lewis. Blah blah. Right. Moving on, something called Round Midnight. Uh, yes, this is a Criterion release I have to review, directed by Bertrand Tavernier. Um, kind of a, a set in the late 50s, France, about this uh, blues musician who leaves from New York to there and finds kind of a, uh, a white... Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, somebody to take care of him that's a fan, basically. Uh, so I have to review that. Uh, Lynette McKee is in it, Dexter Gordon... Uh, is the lead, and a young Francois Clouzet. You watched Mrs. Eris Goes to Paris because you read the book in preparation for the new film called Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris, which stars... Uh, Leslie Manville Leslie and Isabelle Huppert. Isabelle Huppert. So then uh, after... So you read the book, and then you decided to watch... You, you didn't want to watch the original TV movie until you saw the new movie. Right. And that one starts. The TV movie stars Angela Lansbury. It's from the nineties. From ninety two. When you were watching it, I thought I surely thought that movie was from like the sixties. No, nineteen ninety two. From Anthony Pullen Shaw, who is the murder she wrote, creator director, and this was his first separate standalone film he directed with Angela. And I think he did several in the nineties. Okay, between the TV movie and the new movie, which one do you like better? The new one. For and per- then, based uh, compared to the book, which movie? Uh, more closely matches the book. You know, it's weird. They both, they both um, highlight separate uh, elements of the book, but in different ways. What did you like about the TV movie? Um, I guess I liked that they kept some of the. It. I. What's better about the TV movie is in France, where they kept those characters kind of cohesive and more. Like Omar Sharif plays the Marquise, who is really just her friend. There's no. They don't try like stapling some romantic wayward romantic interest with uh, mrs harris and diana rigg who plays the uh, madame uh clotilde what's her name uh anyway uh who's british playing a french woman doesn't really make any sense but i like that they maintain this friendship between these two women that they completely get rid of in the new version because they make isabella pair this harpy um <clears throat> but the, but the devastating thing from the book, which is about what really happens to her Dior dress, is retained in the new version, which I think is effective. Hmm. Moving on, uh, something called Fair Game. Yeah, I showed you this preview. Dark Horizons is re-releasing. Oh, the Lady in Australia. Yeah, it's that re- shit looked real basic. It, it's, it is, and it <laughs> was. Uh, but they re-released uh, this weekend an Ozploitation classic from 1986, directed by Mario Andriocchio. Uh, called Fair Game, which is a movie that has that's a, such a bad title because there's a Cindy Crawford movie called Fair Game from the '90s, and then there's uh, that Naomi Watts Sean Penn movie about Valerie Plame, uh, Fair Game from 2010, mm. directed by Doug Liman. Uh, but this is a movie about a young woman who lives, uh, runs an animal sanctuary, and spends the whole film being terrorized by um, some asshole kangaroo hunters. Uh, and that is really basically it. And it has some nice moments, and Cassandra Delaney as the lead is enjoyable enough to watch, but it is very basic and, dare I say, very boring. But the thing that the distributor is um, bearing down on is how this was really the impetus or influence for Tarantino's Death Proof. Okay. In the most basic way. Moving on, something called Thief. 
Yes, you know, we'll get to this later, but James Caan passed away this week, and I was trying to rewatch, or because uh, you know he has a very large filmography, and there are many films of his that I have not seen, even though I'm, I'm I was kind of saddened because I think he's a figure from my youth that I liked quite a bit. Um, but I rewatched Thief, Michael Mann's films, and I haven't watched since I had it on VHS, and it's now part of the Criterion Collection. Uh, and Sue, so you were in the room towards the end when that came on, but it is really a fantastic film, uh, and I do really like Tangerine Dream's score. Uh, but yes, uh, James Kahn, Tuesday Weld, uh, I think it is one of Kahn's uh, best performances. Moving on. Uh, oh, the movie Hoodlum. Which we watched last night. Yeah. Which I've owned forever uh, on Blu-ray and I'd never seen. It's 1997. It's directed by Bill Duke, who I'm a huge fan of as well. Uh, I think this is his follow-up to Sister Act 2. Uh, I can't remember if he directed another film in between there. Uh, but this is kind of like a gangster epic made in 1997 and it's not well regarded well i agreed to watch it because the cast is pretty amazing lawrence fishburne cicely tyson vanessa williams uh vanessa l williams uh tim roth andy garcia loretta divine queen latifah's in it so i was very interested um i think the movie's okay yes it feels long and I think the story is very basic. It's just about like these gangsters in New York and the different boroughs, like each borough. So it's set during the Depression. So the way people are making money is by running numbers, which mm -hmm. if people don't know what numbers are, it's like the lottery. Mm -hmm. But it's, you know, run by organized crime and not the state. So every borough has its own sort of uh, kingpin running the numbers. And for Harlem, it's Cicely Tyson uh, as the queen. Madam Queen. Madam Queen. But Tim Roth, his... He's the Dutchman. He basically wants to take over the queen. Mm -hmm. Andy Garcia... Is Lucky Luciano. He works in the same sort of syndicate as Tim Roth, but he doesn't like Tim Roth. And then Lawrence Fishburne is helping Cicely Tyson. So it all builds up to Tim Roth is so vile and so racist against not just black people, but Italians. And Andy Garcia's character is supposed to be Italian. So ultimately, Andy Garcia and Lawrence Fishburne joined forces to do in Tim Roth's character. So all's well that ends well. Um, but it's very basic. So it felt long because then there's this sort of side story with Vanessa Williams and Lawrence Fishburne having a romance, but it is not developed at all. And it's kind of strange because I think Vanessa Williams is so transfixing that oh, yeah. I think, you know, she could have been used to greater effect. So just seeing her, it's just interesting watching her on screen. It's like, oh, you have this, you have this creature mm -hmm. at, to your, at your disposal and you don't do anything with her. God, she's so beautiful. I mean, um, she's in it quite a bit, but she's not doing anything. She is. The, and the, her character doesn't do anything. The, well, the transitions are, well, she's, uh, you know, uh, volunteers to, you know, help feed the poor. And she's like, uh, you know, like an angel of the community. But uh, she's very resistant to Lawrence Fishburne, who's an ex-con who's just got out, is like aggressively courting her. And then all of a sudden, the next scene we see her in, they're together. Right, because she's very put off by the fact that he's involved in crime, but then there's a scene where he has to kill... He gets into a fight with someone, and she has to shoot and kill someone to help him. Yeah. And then it's after that scene that all of a sudden, it seems like she supports what he's doing. I thought that was very poorly written, but... It is, but I like that scene where she has to kill the man. Yeah, she's great. Everyone's great. You know, Loretta Devine, who, of the course, I like. She 
Um, this is the only time I've ever seen her be sexual in a movie. <laughs> yeah, she is. And it's interesting. It's interesting. Her not because she's doing a poor job. It's just I'm I'm not used to seeing her be that way. I mean, in Waiting to Exhale, she's flirtatious. Yeah, but not like this. But the, I mean, this one she's being she's she's sticking her lover's head in her drawers. I mean, we don't see her nude, but she's being very explicit about what she wants. Um, but, but she and her, her her name is Pigfoot Mary. Yeah, they, her name is Pigfoot Mary, and she gets <laughs> killed. And I I'm thinking like, oh my god, at her funeral, are they gonna? Yeah, what are they going to Like, have? does she have a government name? But there's a scene where where you have her, uh, Loretta, Vanessa, and Queen all sitting together. Queen Latifah. Yeah, and that's all, uh, you know, that those three women sitting together is so interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, it, it's I mean, and I would recommend this just to see all these people and in Cicely it. And Cicely Tyson, I thought was quite, I it was intriguing to see her as Madam Queen because that's not a role I would. Well, she's, first of all, beautiful. Yes. And she's probably how old there? Like in her late 60s? She's probably in her 60s, yeah. And she yeah. looks amazing. She looks amazing. She reminded me of. The uh, fashions are sick. Like, she li- looks great. Lil' Kim almost at one yeah. period. Um, but it's over two hours long and it felt. That, I mean, it felt like three hours, it's, <laughs> unfortunately. It's too long, but, um, I, you know, it's Lawrence Fishburne, you know, at one point was very handsome. And I always think... I, I mean, still think he is. He's just aged. And, you know, he hasn't aged poorly. It's just that he's gained weight. Yeah, I think I, it must be the weight. But Yeah, I think Lawrence Fishburne looks good. Um, yeah, the, but I liked everybody in this movie. It just, it really hits a wall. Uh, it needed some edits, I think. Uh, but but I, I like it. I, I much prefer uh, Bill Duke's A Rage in Harlem from 1991 with Robin Givens and Forrest Whitaker and Gregory Hines, which is based on a Chester Hines novel. Mm. Uh, and that is a lot of fun. And that feels much more succinct. And of course, uh, this is a reunion between... Um, See, I think if, if we recuperated Hoodlum now, I don't think there would be such a negative um, considera- reconsideration of it because like Deep Cover starring uh, Lawrence Fishburne is now part of the Criterion Collection directed by Bill Duke. And I'd also highly, highly recommend that film. So I, I think there could be some reconsideration for Hoodlum. Uh, but Bill Duke uh, wouldn't direct another film feature for a decade in 2007 uh, in a film I've never seen but sounds really interesting called Cover uh, starring Vivica A. Fox and Ingenue Ellis and it's about uh, black men on the DL. Oh. With, uh, that, uh, and HIV transmission is part, of, watch is, that. Is part of the plot. Uh, but yeah, I've never seen that. Bill Duke, I mean, he... You know, I, I have his autobiography that I still need to read but he's a very interesting person. Yeah. Lastly, we watched the Martin reunion. So the the TV show Martin mm-hmm. that aired from uh, 1992 to 1997, there was a reunion on BET Plus. So they had the four primary cast members. Um, there, but as we recall, there were five. Tommy, um, the gentleman who played Tommy, who now I'm embarrassed I don't recall his um, Thomas Michael Ford. Mm-hmm. He passed away. A year and a half ago, I think. Mm-hmm. So he's not there. But um, we watched the tribute. What did you think? Well, well let me start off by saying that uh, for me, like in high school, because I went to high school from 1992 to 1996. When I think about like transformative, like television for me, it's Martin and Living Single. Because the people remember um, those two shows aired back to back on Fox. Mm-hmm. So... Um, yeah, Martin have seen every episode, um, 
yeah. I mean, it's a very important show to me, but sorry, getting back to what I asked you, what did you think about the reunion? Did, did, did you watch Martin? Because you would have been quite young when the show was on. I was young, uh, but I've seen episodes of it here and there. Um, usually with like, Usually when my parents weren't home and I could watch whatever I watched, I'd watch more variety of things. But uh, I remember episodes of that. The episode I, I, I do remember of What's-Her-Name getting her feet trimmed. Uh, <laughs> oh, Shanene. Show enough beauty. <laughs> oh, and you know, all of Shanene, I think, has come up in compilations somewhere. Well, I watch compilations of yeah, Shanene. <laughs> yeah, so, yes, I'm familiar in, in that regard. I think what... Um, appealed to me about that this show which could also be transferred to living single was like black people just having normal lives like martin played a radio dj mm-hmm. gina worked in like marketing so she had a, car- a corporate job she dressed like she kind of had the life i thought i wanted like she wore like business suits and had a briefcase and her best friend pam was also they worked in the same company martin had his friend cole who was Supposed to be like the dumb, naive one. Mm-hmm. And then Tommy, their other friend, who the running joke for 132 episodes was that he didn't have a job, but he would always reference this job. But I just remember seeing those characters and thinking like, oh, they're, they're, they're just normal, funny people. And then there were a lot of guest appearances by celebrities. And Martin played like six or seven different characters. Mm-hmm. Probably the most popular, like, Shanene, mm-hmm. and then Jerome, the... Shanene is really good. Yeah, like, the, he, there was a pimp and a security guard, and then he had the guy Bob, who was, like, the white guy. <laughs> Which is creepy. To... <laughs> but watching the reunion, you know, they each gave sort of, like, the, the best moments for each character and their mm-hmm. favorite moments, and I just... it I got a little emotional just thinking how much I enjoyed that show, mm-hmm. because in that period of my life, things weren't the best. So I really latched on to a few television shows I really liked because really it was Martin living single in a different world and then for music it was just Janet Jackson mm-hmm. and Mary J. Blige was a big one so I really latched on to those things like those were my friends because mm-hmm. I didn't have any yeah so I know the feeling yeah it it felt nice seeing them all together um Pam Tashina Arnold has always looked amazing yes Cole looks great. Martin, you know, is Martin. Tisha looked crazy. Tisha looked crazy, though. But it was what because what she was wearing, not her, per yeah, se. Yeah, she looked like... she First of all, it looked like she couldn't breathe because she's wearing She looked a, like whatever, like, like the casing you put sausage yeah. in. Yeah. Like, <laughs> she looked like... And then, you know, she's hype. Like, she likes yeah. to talk a lot. So I think her outfit was so restrictive, she couldn't breathe. Yeah. So that she seemed like she was, like, out of breath. And <laughs> But some guest appearances from, like, um, people who are on the show. Tommy Davidson was funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, Snoop Dogg. Well, who's always funny. Yeah. Who's so charming. But he came on and talked about the show and thanked Martin because that was his first time on a sitcom and that's what made him think he could act. And then there was a there was quite a long tribute mm-hmm. to Thomas McHale Ford at the end, towards the end of the special, which I thought was actually really um, classy. Mm-hmm. You know, that they... They took a lot of time. They had his wife, his uh, widow and two children there. Mm-hmm. She spoke. Then each of the four cast members spoke about him. And then a gospel singer came up and sang a damn song. Leandria something. So yeah. I thought that was actually quite classy that they... And I recall Tisha saying in an interview somewhere else that the only reason... The only way they agreed to do the reunion is if 
the producers would incorporate a tribute to Tommy. As they should have. So I thought that was really nice. But anyway, moving on, projects of interest. Oh, we didn't talk about Marla Gibbs. Oh, shit. And then Marla Gibbs. She, they so got Mar her in there. Marla Gibbs is only on, like, I think one episode or maybe two. But she played... At one point, Martin had to get, like, a maid. And so they hire Marla Gibbs, which was a, you know, great casting because we all know Marla Gibbs played a maid in The mm -hmm. Jeffersons. But... Um, she came on. That lady is 91 years old. She's very spry. And just, yeah. She's just so... But it's like, oh, you know, you know she's still working. And of course, there's we have an awareness. Oh, but, but her being on the show prompted you to look up her filmography. And she has a movie coming out this year. It's a, Yeah, it's 2022. It's coming out. Uh, it's called A Snowy Day in Oakland. But and when you read me the cast list, I was like, holy this shit. This cast list had me on the floor. Kimberly Elise, who would be the lead. Keith David. Loretta Devine. Nicole Ari Parker. Michael Jai White. Evan Ross. Uh, Jack A. Harry, Marla Gibbs, Dion Cole, uh, and then Kyle Berry, I recognize we just saw on something. Yeah, that cast has me excited. Oh, and to, Beauty. It has me excited to watch it. Uh, the basic story is like there's this woman, Kimberly Elise plays like like a mental health, like a, like a therapist who moves into like an urban area. And it sounds like it's just going to be like an, a colorful cast of characters seek out therapy from her. But that sounds like a lot of and fun. And it's directed by the guy, uh, one of the writers of In Living Color and uh, Sister, Sister. We have to keep it moving though. Anyway. So projects of interest, Mickey Seven. Oh, Bong Joon-ho has announced his first project since uh, Parasite in 2019. So that's exciting. Uh, based then, on a sci-fi novel. And Steven Yoon, Robert Pattinson, and Tony Collette are on the, in the cast. And then something called Hedda Gabler. Something called Hedda Gabler. <laughs> it's a very famous play by Enric Ibsen. Uh, but Nia DaCosta, uh, the director of Candyman, uh, has announced that she will be uh, adapting Hedda Gabler. No idea who's playing Hedda. I'm very excited to hear. Uh, Ibsen, of course, if you haven't read his plays or seen them. Uh, Glenda Jackson, I believe, was nominated for an Oscar playing Hedda Gabler in the 70s. Okay, unfortunately, there are entries in the obituary section. First is someone named Gregory, Gre Gregory Itzen. Yeah, he was uh, on the television series 24. He was married to Gene Smart, who many people might recognize, a character actor. He was 74. Uh, then someone named L.Q. Jones. L.Q. Jones, you've seen in stuff. He's he's in most of Sam Peckinpah's movies. I thought he was dead already. Uh, he, <laughs> he was 94. He uh, oh, so you make fun of me saying someone named, but then you over here talking about you thought he was dead already. Well, he has he also hasn't been in anything since Robert Altman's A Prairie Home Companion, <laughs> you know, and Robert Altman died after that movie. Uh, but we've we relatively recently over the past couple of years, I know we watched The Brotherhood of Satan because I think Arrow put that out on uh, Blu-ray, and he's in that as a youngish man. He's notable for also directing a boy and his dog. Um, and I think I just watched him in Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid recently. But yeah, he, he died. Uh, he looked old for a long time. Lastly, James Kahn is gone. Um, Which makes me sad. I did have to look. You texted me. I was working and you texted me. <laughs> you know James Kahn. Like a family. When these people die, Nick will text me like a family member died. <laughs> Well, they are like my family. <laughs> oh, boy. I had to look his ass up. I do recognize him. I couldn't tell you what I knew him from. Oh, my God. Okay, so Joseph... I've never seen the Godfather. Joseph's never seen the Godfather movies, but 
What, oh, Misery. He's the man from Misery. Yes. Which, you know, it's... I wouldn't have known that unless I saw it. You know, it's also interesting about Misery. So many male leads didn't want to take that role because it was, it was somebody so, so emasculating to this this wonderful uh, Annie Wilkes, Kathy, well, wonderful, this terrible person named Annie Wilkes. Um, and this James, wonderfully terrible person. <laughs> so, you know, kudos to him. But, you know, he's burned into my mind for his Misery. But when I watched um, The Godfather as probably like a 12 or 13 year old because uh, I got them on double set VHS as a kid. Uh, I thought he was so handsome as Sonny Corleone in, way, way, way. in The Godfather. You thought James Caan in The Godfather was attractive? Oh, yes. Well, especially compared to, you know, I, you know, Al, they were all good looking people, but compared to like Robert Duvall and Al Pacino and... Um, I'm looking this up. No, uh, he was very handsome. Do we know how old well he was he was 82 now and godfather was in 72 that's him right there yeah okay yeah he was handsome i mean you know uh, uh so he was 82 mm-hmm. you so annoying you wrote down james con top five and then you put down seven movies sure what, what can you explain how that makes sense in your little pea brain? Well, the last one is not the okay. So his debut. Uh, Hold on, could you please explain how you write top five and put seven movies? Because there's room for honorable mentions. Well, why don't you just say top seven? I don't know. I, you, I think you just want to be difficult. No, no, I don't want to be difficult. You have to. You don't set, pay, don't pay you, me out no, white like no, that. No, 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 because you set your own parameters and you still break them. Okay. Well, you said top five. I didn't ask you for a top five. Well, <laughs> you made your own consistency. You made your own parameters, then you break them. <laughs> well, consistency is the hobgoblin of small minds. Okay. Anyway, there wow. he has hundred. He has many. He has so many films and so many wonderful films that I know I haven't seen yet. Uh, Could you? What's your number five James Con movie? Probably The Gambler. Wait, number five. What, what, I didn't put these in. Let's say The Godfather is number five. Oh God! Okay, what's number four? Well, I want. Let's talk about the, uh, the thief. Number three, um, the gambler. Number two, games. And of course, number one is misery. Then yes, but uh, I want to talk about them a little bit too. Um, games is. Do you know when I have to stop the recording? It's at sixty minutes. Do you see what time it is? Yeah. Okay. Games <laughs> is directed by Curtis Harrington, and I remember I had to search high and low for this. I think I had to buy um, a DVD from Spain, and then maybe uh, not too long ago, Kino Lorber finally put it out on Blu-ray. But it's James Caan and Catherine Ross as this handsome young couple, and they are visited by Simone Signore, and a weird <laughs> night of games happens. Uh, Curtis Harrington originally wanted Dietrich for the Signore role, but it is a lot of fun. Uh, Catherine ha- Ross and um, James Caan are very uh, young and good-looking. The original The Gambler, uh, directed by Carol Rise, I believe, um, with Lauren Hutton, definitely worth a watch. Lauren Clutton. Lauren Clutton. Uh, <laughs> we had a joke about what if you mix Glenn Close and Lauren Hutton? She'd you be- get Lauren Clutton, and now I. <laughs> anytime I hear it, I laugh, and I think uh, you need to write a story one day where with about an actress named Lauren Clutton, where the lead is Lauren Clutton. <laughs> um, anyway, The Gambler, which is remade in a not so good remake with uh, 
uh, Mark Wahlberg and Jessica Lange, I think, in 2014. Uh, but the original is great. Uh, Thief, of course, with Michael Mann that we talked about earlier. I also highly recommend Comes a Horseman, uh, Alan J. Pakula, uh, Western, uh, starring... Western. Starring Jane Fonda, so of course, Young and Beautiful, and uh, Richard Farnsworth, who I believe was nominated for an Oscar in that movie, really worth a watch but if you really want it's like remember how bruce dern's debut was in hush hush sweet charlotte okay james Kahn's debut is as this young thug that is uh, harassing olivia de havland in lady in a cage when really as the title says she is an old lady in her apartment who is stuck in a large cage as these young men try to burglarize her uh and terrorize her it is not a good movie but it is a lot of fun All right. I need to take a break. Give me one second. And I'm back. Okay. So, The Secret Movie, someone recommended this. And I never know, based on how people recommend movies, if they think it'll be funny for us to talk about things because, like, it's not good. or So... Someone recommended the movie B-Boy Blues. It's a 2021 film directed by Juicy Smollier. Mm-hmm. So right away we're like, oh, So God. immediately I'm like, oh, so they want us to like rip this shit apart. Um, it premiered on BET Plus. And has really low ratings on IMDb. And it has really low ratings on IMDb. So I'm like, okay, here we go. But I have to say... I quite like this movie. I, well, you know, again, going in with very low expectations, I'm surprised at how competently this is made. Uh, and yeah, how much I kind of, I did enjoy it. Really quickly, overall, it feels more like it could be an episode of something. There's a web series that if anyone knows the name, please message me. It was on YouTube and then it got taken down. It was about three gay black men living in New York. They're younger and just sort of their lives um, one of the main characters is sort of a chubbier guy and he's dating this attractive white guy. Um, oh, I think I do remember you watching Yeah, that. so if anyone knows what I'm talking about, I would love to find that. But anyway, this movie feels like it could have been an episode of that web series. So it does feel a little long in the tooth for what the story amounts to, uh, out to be. But Well, it, again, I think it, it feels like maybe reading the book by James Earl Hardy which is based on... I'm not familiar with James. I'm not either. We watched it through the end credits and one of the dedications is Elin Harris, which makes sense. That makes sense, Uh, But... Whose books... I I have all of his books now, I think. You have several that I've purchased, procured for you. And I've read one, like, 80%. But it's been so long, I need to reread it. You need to restart it. Yeah. But Uh, but I... Well, I just need a vacation. I need to go somewhere for, like, several days and I can read a book. But... mm -hmm. Uh... Anyway, I need to tell the basic story. So this story is about um, a young man named Mitchell. He is like a college graduate. He's like a journalist. He works for like a magazine. We see like he has an upcoming photo shoot featuring like Beyonce and Chloe X Haley. Mm -hmm. So he's doing big things. He lives in a very nice place. He we find out like right away that he has just broken off a relationship with a rich guy. So he has his core group of friends. One day he's at work and a delivery driver, like a messenger shows up, a guy named Rahim. And there's sort of an instant attraction. They meet out at like, they don't meet, but they didn't plan to meet, but they're both out at like a, like a local bar. They meet and 
it the rest is history. They become very close in their relationship. But things fall apart because Raheem is they're playing him out like he's a thug. And we, then Mitchell's we need, go, we need to go back to that. Yeah, yeah, and then Mitchell's like, you know, this preppy guy. So it's like people from two different worlds, how will they ever get along? Which I think is kind of silly, but it ultimately leads to Mitchell sort of asking Raheem to leave because, well, Raheem at one point hits Mitchell, mm-hmm. um, and then they get into a fight like at a like at a party. But then after being convinced that he really, he convinces himself after talking to people that he really does love Raheem, they get back together. The end. It's very basic. But I think there's a lot to talk about. There is. Um, well, you know, one, there are so few, I think, uh, it, it's easy to dismiss gay independent film, because, uh, especially black gay independent film, because there's usually something crippling it, like a really bad script or some bad performances or terrible editing or a director that doesn't know what's going on. So th- really, considering that, uh, all, on all fronts, more or less, it's not perfect by any means. But I think the acting is strong the across the board. The I think the direction strong. is like I'm, I'm. I'm impressed that this film is put together as well as it is. Well, because it's kind of comedically edited in a way too that has this playful tone. Like it, it reminded me of something from the '90s. Yes. Uh, so I it, it kept my attention. There are some moments that I think are quite good. Uh, we can get into it, but I think that. The story could have just been something different entirely, sure. and I think it would have worked better, which we can talk about. It try, it kind of like it, it's it's almost as if you can see the 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 like oh the, we've hit kind of a stagnation, something really dramatic like a soap opera needs to happen. Okay, <laughs> well, let let me just start going through my notes so we can get through this. Okay, Rahim uses the word jud, J O O D. Which he defines as being better than good. Uh-huh. If the, we always say this, but if there were a drinking game for every time you hear someone say Jude, you would die. <laughs> I mean, it's to the point where it, it, it becomes so obnoxious that I think it comes full circle and it's like funny. <laughs> yeah. So I can't tell if I think it actually works. I didn't like it. Because, well, also... He, uh, Rahim, because it kind of becomes a joke within the story. Right. Because other characters are saying... Rahim has this five-year-old, and the kid's saying Jude, and it's like, don't do that to this baby. He's going to go to school, and they're going to clown You know what him. that reminds me of? Uh, fucking uh, True to the Game, when they're calling the grandma Mom, Gaget. Gaget. I it, miss my Gaget. <laughs> and it's like, I understand that like the history of the name is like, God get it, or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But when you go to school, or when you talk to like the police officer, and you... You keep saying my god get they think you're crazy <laughs> jude like what are you talking about so then yeah this word the use of the i mean i can't even say it's a word but the use of jude is prolific mm-hmm. it's unbelievable to the point where i i think that it works because it's memorable it is and it invoked a reaction every time i heard it I was like oh god <laughs> like jesus fucking christ okay so I'm going to echo what you said. It's really nice seeing like queer people of color making film, starring in film, like and telling those stories. So that's a plus, and the fact that it's well constructed is even better. Mm-hmm. But then the element of the story that kind of threw me is the fact that like 
you know, I don't know who wrote it. Is it's not juicy, is it? Uh, I think he has co-written. He, oh, he co-wrote the skip with co-wrote with Hardy. Yeah. Okay, so you know, I don't know Hardy at all. I don't know when this story was written. It feels dated though, because I think this idea of like a well, thug. It's it doesn't feel taboo. I think that. Because his friends, uh, Mitchell's friend group is goes in so hard against Rahim about Rahim about what a thug he is and about what a pattern of dating thugs you have, and Rahim does not read just because he wears a do rag in public. He reads James. Um, he reads James. That Baldwin. doesn't even make sense because like, Mitchell wears a do rag. Right. We like, see Mitchell. But at, I mean, we what, see Mitchell at his mom's house wearing a do rag. So what signifies? That's that what I want to talk about is what signifies him as being a thug because he's a bike messenger. No, he or is. because he talks a certain way. Rahim actually talks just like Mitchell, except he uses the word "jud." He's in extremely good shape, and then they're both in like they're both super fit. They're both attractive. So I don't well. Mitchell reminded me of Courtney B. Vance, but well, I was I was thinking Don Cheadle, but, but he's uh, handsome. I just didn't like his hair, but yeah. you know they're both like very attractive, very fit. They don't sound that different to me. It's just that their occupations are different, and then we find out Rahim has a child, and there's a little scene about like Mitchell questioning Rahim's sexuality because he had sex with a woman. But yeah, I, I guess I'm a little. It feels dated to me that like they're really trying to make an entire story revolving around the fact that. Rahim is a thug, which really and is not. is which makes it feel episodic because there's an episode of Noah's Ark where I think is it Doug Spearman's boyfriend goes off to satisfy his thug lust or something. Well, and the other thing is like they one scene I really liked is they Rahim and Mitchell and Rahim's two little ghetto ass friends they go to some house party and it's like it's. It, it feels very hood to me, and <laughs> I've been to, like, gay bars where it was, like, a black crowd, and it was a little more hood than, you know, maybe what I'm used to, and it was a very interesting environment, mm-hmm. because I think, you know, that's a lifestyle that I'm just not a part of. Well, it's funny, because there's also, the in those environments, a lot of that uh, masculine posture. Right. So I think this film did a good job because I'm not a part of that world, so I can't say it felt authentic or not. But from what I saw, it, it felt authentic. Like, the juxtaposition of, like, these gay black men posturing in a way that screams toxic masculinity, but then they all want to have sex with each other. Mm-hmm. So it, it kind of messes with your mind. But I thought it was very effective. Um, so... There's a lot about the the ideas that are being presented that work, but I think the basic, like, the essence of, like, Mitchell's friends, particularly, I think his name is Gene. Is, is, is it Gene? The one who's, like, very, like, vehemently against Mitchell dating another thug. Yeah, played Whereas, by Landon G. Because really, they seem more elitist than anything else. Like, well, we're all professional, college-educated, and we all make good money and live in cute lofts in, like, a better part of the city. So to me, it's like, that's really what this story is about. And I feel like it would have been more provocative if they would have adjusted the screenplay from the book, which I don't know when that book was written, for something that's more contemporary. Like, I don't know that people are thinking, oh, he's a thug. I think, you know, in the world of like gay black men, there's probably more of like a sense of elitist um, mentality that, you know, he lives here and we live in this fancy loft downtown and drive a BMW that's kind of more what I 
think the story was trying to do. It was originally published in 1994. It feels very 90s to me. Uh, see, and I th- yeah, that comes yeah. across. Yeah, it needed to be updated, and like this whole thug shit doesn't make any sense. It's not about him being a thug. Rahim, if you saw Rahim on the street the way he looks in this movie, you would think he's like a model. Or I mean, you wouldn't yeah. think he's a thug. You would think like like he's very desirable. Mm-hmm. So really, it's more about like this guy looks like trouble because of how attractive he is and the fact that he doesn't have shit. But then the film doesn't even the story doesn't really explain that he doesn't have shit. Raheem seems like his life is fine. The only thing sketch about him are those two dumbass friends that he hangs out with. Ugh. Well, we can get into that. Okay. So, <laughs> Mitchell, the other thing about the story that I think is interesting slash annoying is I really didn't know who to root for. Like, I don't think there is a right or a wrong person in this relationship because Mitchell's kind of, he has a pattern of dating people with similar stories Sure. And then never wants to introduce them to his family. He only lets it go so far. So it's like, well, you kind of deserve what you get because you're kind of using people. Mm-hmm. And then Rahim is clearly like, he be, he like ingratiates himself into Mitchell's life very quickly. Yes. And then gets upset when Mitchell wants to take a step back. And it's like, well, you didn't give this relationship any Well, and also does some questionable things. But we can get into those. But Mitchell at one point... Because Gene, his friend, who's against the relationship, is, like, arguing with him. And Mitchell says, if I'm going to get fucked, I might as well get fucked down in the process. And I just thought, like, what? I thought that was bad writing. That's probably in the book. Like, Maybe. Again, the writing isn't perfect. Well, I only bring that up because I think that's an interesting topic to talk about. Because I can't particularly relate to that. But I think that (laughs) I've met a lot of people who I think do think like that. And don't realize that that leads them to ruin. Yeah, like, I I mean, I can think of quite a few people Mm -hmm. we know who it's like the sex is most important. Mm -hmm. Like the good sex will make you make poor decisions. Right. Yes. Yeah. I mean, a lot of comedians have some. Some more has entire fucking comedy specials about the essence of that. So the essence of dick. The essence of dick, literally. So I think Mitchell is like that. Like he, he's his attraction to Raheem is clouding whether or not this makes sense. Mm-hmm. The fact that he really doesn't know this man. He doesn't know his friends, his family. The fact that he has a child. Um, my next note is how old are these people? <laughs> because Raheem is supposed to be twenty four. Mm-hmm. He does not look twenty four to me. He looks like he's well in his 30s. Sure. And then Mitchell looks like... I mean, if you told me Mitchell was like 40, I would... It's that hair. And then Gene has a very interesting hairline, so he looks older. Yes. <laughs> I did like the other friend a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to say that actor's name, but I don't... Oh, DC. Is that DC? Mm-hmm. Jabari Red. I did like his character a lot as well. Oh, and then Brandy Evans. No, DC is... Um... That's uh, Raheem's friend. Raheem's. Oh, yeah. Who's the... Because I kind of thought he and I looked like we could be cousins. The, the, the one that they call the ditzy one? The one who has a the husband. One, the one who's dating Babyface? Yes. Yeah, what was his name? Anyway, um, I just lost my train of thought. Oh, yeah. How old are these people? Mm-hmm. <laughs> they, look, they look a little elderly. Um, I thought this would make a very good series. Like, if BET Plus made this into, like, you know, 22-minute episodes. Mm -hmm. Because I would love to know where all these characters are. Um, Mitchell, his work friend, Michi, is played by 
an actor Brandy named Evans. Brandy Evans, who people might know from Pea Valley. Mm-hmm. I thought she was really funny, and she looks amazing. Her hair and her outfits, they whoever did her out, outdid themselves because she looks fantastic. Um, they go to brunch, mm-hmm. like Mitchell and his friends, because they want to meet Raheem for the first time. And when they're sitting at brunch, I swore T.I. joined the brunch. Didn't you think that looked like T.I.? That T. didn't I? look like T.I. I not. almost fell off the couch. It's not T.I. There's a scene, like a montage, where Mitchell and Raheem are getting to know each other in a very like lovey-dovey rom-com way. Mm-hmm. And there's a point where Raheem is sitting on the kitchen floor... Yeah. I was so bothered like, by that. Why, well, yeah, like, why are you sitting on... It looks like you're hiding from this They're man They're both at apartment. home, but it's, like, a, supposed to be, like, a loving sequence. Yeah. And Mitchell is just sitting in the kitchen, like, hiding for Raheem, and then Raheem brings him a teddy bear. I thought that was so ridiculous. Okay, we need to talk about Raheem's friends. Because the first time Mitchell meets Raheem's friends, he says, well, bring them to my house. And they come over... And they're using the N-word. And they're looking at... Mm-hmm. Um, oh, the character I... Oh, the character who I thought he and I could be cousins. His name... The actor's name is Michael Jackson Jr. No, I'm I just pointing out that that person's in the cast. That wasn't him. Oh, that's you, not you, him? You know what Michael Jackson Jr. looks like? That's not... He's not in the movie. Oh, BD is BD. not him. Oh, okay. No, BD's... Oh, my God. Anyway... Um. Mitchell invites Raheem's friends to the house and they start like picking on him, like making fun of all his movies and, um, yeah, it's too long. It's too many. What is it? It's too pink. Yeah. Like they're made like, like he's kind of whitewashed. And I thought that scene was very clunky because I do think that that is a relevant topic in the community, like as a contemporary issue but the way it's handled in this 2021 movie it feels very dated like especially the one friend who ultimately gets shot and killed i think that's bd maybe no that's dc oh that's, that's dc oh, okay <laughs> these names i'm messing up but i just thought like that seemed a little dated it felt a little dated because these aren't like guys it wouldn't see the problem is I think James Earl Hardy probably wrote stories like for men on the DL, mm-hmm. and I think the way these characters are acting, they're on the DL. Yes. But then the script has been updated a little bit because Raheem says like I'm just me, I don't need labels. So and then they're out and proud, like they're affectionate in public. Mm-hmm. So I think that that was poorly done because the way these characters are acting, you would think they're on the DL like 20 years ago, mm-hmm. but really they're quite comfortable with their sexuality. They're just being like unnecessarily ignorant. I didn't like that. Yes. Um, I really like the score. Mm-hmm. The music. And the soundtrack. The, well, Much of it is performed by, by Juicy. By Juicy. Mm-hmm. Uh, particularly the song at the end credits, mm-hmm. which was very reminiscent of Michael Jackson. Yes. Um, yes. I, I, I thought he did a great job. Okay. Raheem has a son named Raheem Jr. Mm-hmm. That little boy was adorable Mm -hmm. he was adorable his acting was so sweet like that little kid was so good um i but i think the film really comes alive when mitchell goes home that's my next note i think the best part of the movie and i think what should have been the focus is mitchell's family Mm -hmm. so let us see who we all know is a singer 
She plays Mitchell's mom, and then his auntie is played by Heather B. Who I know which, from Dead Presidents. Which you, you know from there. I think most people know her. She's a DJ on Sirius XM, mm. uh, Sway's World, but I think That's someone right. like me knows her from The Real World New York, the very first season. Okay. Anyway, I think Heather B. is the best part of the movie. Yeah, she's really good. She's really funny, mm-hmm. and her relationship with her gay nephew is really sweet. Mm-hmm. I And then Mitchell's brother, who's... This very attractive man who's not gay. Roderick Hunter. I thought that when the four of them were together at the mom's house, I wish that would have been the tone of the movie. Mm-hmm. Like, it was so powerful seeing, like, this black family supporting the, the, the gay son and navigating his relationship. I kind of wish, like, the center of the film would have been them. And then we see... You know what would have been a better movie? The, the, the central storyline is Mitchell and his family and how close they are and how open they are talking about his life. And then we see him dating all these different guys and kind of like how he's the problem. Mm-hmm. And through talking, and then we get little like, you know, many scenes of him date, dating different guys and how the dates go wrong. And then through talking to his family and all the humor that comes from that, he realizes he's the problem. Mm-hmm. And then the end of the film is him starting fresh. He needs to grow. Yeah, I yes. think I think the mistake makes it's like you're trying to sell us on selling them as a couple when I don't think Raheem and Mitchell sh- maybe should be. <laughs> yes, I think that's the mistake is that ultimately I don't think these two belong in a relationship and all the energy wasted with the family and the friends trying to show him that he's the problem. Mm-hmm. Like you have this pattern of dating certain guys and only letting the relationship go so far is never truly rectified. Right. And then in the end, the fact they're back together is like they shouldn't be together. It's <laughs> Sure, there, forgiveness is one thing and, you know, a person like Rahim learning that you know violence is not the answer that like you you learn that by somebody forgive like through the grace of forgiveness right but I don't know that he's still the best person for Mitchell no so um why did I write down Tesha with an e because at the family barbecue Aunt Ruth Tesha oh, is um, my god at his brother Adam's girlfriend so Mitchell's brother has a girlfriend named Tesha with an e and it's very much. Um, she's a stare. She's an. Instagram don't be a menace stereotype. while drinking juice in the hood or whatever. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's very much that scene in the backyard barbecue where the girls dress like Justice from Poetic Justice, mm-hmm. and that's how Tesha's dressed, like mm-hmm. Janet is Justice, but then she's like a total ditz. Again, I thought that scene was really funny. Mm-hmm. Well, because Aunt Ruth is introducing everybody, and she's like, the, Tesha corrects her pronunciation of her name, and there's like a record. Uh, scratch, scratch. <laughs> and, then, and, and the auntie's like moving on yeah. before I beat this bitch with uh, a bat. Also, Heather Aunt Ruth has uh, twins named Kelvin and Alvin. Yes, and did you get the sense that her twins were gay? I don't know. They. It was funny though because she's her her twin sons are not adults, and she's feeding them like Crown Royal. Yeah. <laughs> I really thought Heather B. She needs to be in more stuff. Yeah. Okay. The. Raheem Mitchell and Raheem's two raggedy friends go to this like hood party (laughs) and we see we establish already that Raheem is very jealous yes but then they go to this party and Raheem is dancing up on his ex in a very sort of like sexual way like unquestionably so Mitchell gets upset and so some guy approaches Mitchell and And wants to dance and Mitchell says yes tries to pull up to his bumper (laughs) and then Raheem sees it and gets mad and fights this guy Mm -hmm. which results in them sort of like leaving Mitchell at the party. Subsequently, 
those guys who Rahim got into a fight with, they see Rahim and his friend DC mm-hmm. like standing on the street and they shoot and kill DC, mm-hmm. which then leads to a funeral scene. And then Rahim and Mitchell reconnect at the funeral. And then that's when they decide like it evolves into them getting back together. Um, again, I feel like the movie completely falls off after... I don't think completely. Well, I just think that it, it it just feels like an episode of something. Like, it was pretty strong when up until the barbecue. And then after that, when they go to the party and the fight and then, and then the funeral. And then Rahim goes back to Mitchell with his son uh, as, like, an excuse to, like, forcing him to open the door. I just thought, like, I don't know. It it fell off for me. Sure. Well, you know, you don't have to agree with what the characters are doing to. Sure. It, that isn't that isn't what's making it uh, kind of a subpar film, and I don't think it is at all. Um, I, I was just I was quite impressed with this, and you know, juicy small yay. It's it's just unfortunate what he got himself into. My final note is Mitchell works for this magazine and they've secured Beyonce and Chloe X Haley uh, on the cover. And Mitchell is so wrapped up in Raheem's bullshit that he misses the photo shoot. And then the film, they have Chloe Haley and Beyonce in it from the back. Yeah. So it's like actors pretending Much to be like them. Much like Destiny's Child and Billy Lynn's halftime Which walk. I thought was kind of funny, but I was like, I cannot believe. Under what circumstances would he miss, like, being in the room for his photo shoot with Beyonce. To bring this five-year-old to a pizza To have party. this five-year-old at Chuck E. Cheese. Child, I would abandon that child. Can you imagine? Well, or brought him with or something. Would you have, like, would you fucking, like, watch my nephew while Sigourney's waiting for you to, like, absolutely oh, oh, not. Oh, no, we would Uber Eats a nanny somewhere. And- yeah. I mean, that's just, I mean, it just doesn't even make sense that he was sitting at, like, Chuck E. Cheese mm-hmm. while Beyonce is waiting for her. Yes. Like, uh, like on no universe would sure. that happen. So that drove me crazy. But overall, I agree. My expectations were set low because of what I thought this movie would be. Mm-hmm. But I was quite impressed. There are a lot of flourishes that I think are fun. I really thought the acting from everyone was strong. And, yes, and uh, to say that because we didn't say their names, Timothy Richardson plays Mitchell and Thomas Mackey plays Raheem. Yeah, I would abs- if we subscribe to BET Plus now, <laughs> we, we subscribe so we could watch this movie. But if there were a um, B Boy Blues series, I would watch it. Oh, yeah, for sure. I found the characters interesting and funny. I think watching, again, queer black people just living life and not having it be all about trials and tribulations is refreshing. Although, you know, BET Plus, I was surprised that there is not a wider range of selection on there. Well, because to be it, fair... Because what I really want to subscribe to is Brown Sugar. Because they have a great Well, library. Brown Sugar has better cinematic offerings. They have a fantastic library. BET Plus, um, I think they're working on their yeah, catalog. Yeah. But to be fair, we only look... We are looking at BT Plus through Amazon. Mm-hmm. I bet if you look at BT Plus, like the full catalog, it'll have more. Sure. But, but anyway, what do you have going on this week? Um, I finished reading The Passion According to GH this week oh. by Clarice Lispector, which was uh, very entertaining. Uh, very mysterious, strange writer. And I am smitten and want to read her other things. But, you know, it's all about this sculptress in her maid's room in... Uh, Rio and 
realizing that this this black maid that left hates her and sees these painting on these, these paintings uh, on the wall that one of which is supposed to emulate her uh, you know much like um, Plato's uh, shadows on the cave kind of and then she kills this uh, cockroach in the room and then goes through these series of mental exercises being stuck in the room which is a series of contradictions uh, as how something can't be something without being the opposite of something blah 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 blah, and ends up uh, in short eating the cockroach uh, <laughs> It was it was a fascinating read, let me tell you. And if you like uh, very bizarre literature, i.e., uh, Kafka's Metamorphosis or Anna Kavan's Ice, I highly recommend *The Passion According to G.H. Uh, but then I also started reading uh, this week. I'm about a third of the way through *The Gospel Sound* by Tony Heilbutt, um, who was a, a Harvard Ph.D. scholar who's written a couple books that I'm interested in. But uh, I've had this for a while. It was a reprint from '75, but it was really originally written in 1971, and I've been reading. Uh, because it it asserts that all music goes back to gospel rhythm. Uh, And of course, there's so much I don't know about a lot of the, uh, obviously Bessie Smith and uh, Ma Rainey, but they weren't gospel singers. They were kind of, they were uh, born out of that. But uh, reading about uh, Mahalia Jackson and Rosetta Tharp and all kinds of other things. But some. uh, I wanted to point out, James Baldwin said of this book, uh, it's a very beautiful book with love and precision, Love and precision, no pity, a little like a gospel song. I didn't know that anybody knew that much about it or cared that much or could be so tough and lucid. Mm. Uh, but it was interesting. There's an off-the-cuff remark about Elvis in there, and I wanted to comment on that because uh, Heilbutt points out that Elvis, uh, at a point, supported George Wallace. And it just uh, makes me go back to disliking that fucking Baz Luhrmann Elvis movie so much and, and all the negative comments we got about just saying how we need this film is not dealing with the uh, uh, cultural appropriation that he was at least accused of maybe not conscious of but at least needs to be part of the conversation and i know i brought up that meeting he had with richard nixon but this motherfucker i did not know that he did support george wallace for people who don't know george wallace wallace was the governor of alabama Yes. For a long time. He was governor up until the 80s. Mm-hmm. And he's known for making that speech where he said segregation forever. Yes. Uh, so, like, a vehement racist. He even said something to the effect, like, uh, around the time MLK was assassinated, someone, he was interviewed saying, someone asked him, like, how are we going to ensure, like, um, something about maintaining the conservative blah, blah, blah of this nation. And this motherfucker said, we're going to have to see some high-profile funerals. <laughs> I remember there was a TV movie starring uh, uh, Gary Sinise as George Wallace. Wallace. Actually, I do recall that. Yeah, because yeah. he was shot and uh, he was shot himself. And was he paraplegic? He was in a wheelchair. He was wheelchair-bound because I know he was shot at one point, at least. Uh, but I, I know what George Wallace stood for. And uh, the fact that... They did not. They did not even come close to addressing that in this new Elvis movie. It just oh, it makes me mad. Anyway, uh, there's that. Uh, anything else you want to say? Uh, no, we have a, a big week ahead. I guess we're seeing where the crawdads sing tomorrow. Uh, <laughs> that title has me cracking up, and I did not read that book. Um, and there are a bunch of other things coming out this week, but we already covered the one on a rider release and um, in new Isabelle Huppert. Uh, yeah. All done? Um, 
I'd, I'll leave you with a quote from Clarice Lispector. Thank you. I only achieve simpli simplicity with enormous effort. Bye. <laughs>